And I invite you to remain standing in body or spirit as we hear our gospel lesson this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Luke writes, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, as many of you know, it is the most wonderful time of the year, or the most painful time of the year, depending on who you ask, because it is college football season. <laughs> and as many of you know, I am a proud member of the Red and Black. I am a Bulldog, a graduate of the University of Georgia, to which I must add, per requirement, go dogs. <laughs> now, uh, I know at this moment in this room and also online, um, there are some diehard Clemson fans, some diehard Rocky Top Tennessee fans. They, they're loud because they're on the mountaintop over there. Some Florida Gators fans, some Georgia Tech fans, some Auburn fans, and dare I even say, some, some Alabama fans. Just to name a few, of course, you know, there might also be some new to our uh, college fandom, some Georgia State fans in the house, and many others, some App State fans I know on the roster. And I know that uh, at this very, very moment, there might be some who are itching. In fact, already have given me a hearty go Vols, a roll tide, a go dogs. In fact, why don't we just indulge ourselves for a moment, shall we, on the count of three? One, two, three. I will tell you all uh, my very favorite joke. It is a bad joke. Be prepared for uh, how bad it is. But how do we know that the dogs are God's favorite team? Because the Bible was written in red and black. You're welcome. I'll be here all morning. But as all of us who have a favorite college sports team know, there are strong rivalries in the mix of college football. And if we're not careful, underneath our team colors, we can forget that we're all human. In fact, sometimes we can forget that at the very end of Saturday, win or lose, it is just football. How dare I? <laughs> but sometimes if we forget that at the end of the day it's just football, 
We can get so entrenched in the color jersey that we don that we can irreparably harm our relationships. Because when we fix ourselves on winning and losing with our team, we forget that my value is not tied to whether or not the Bulldogs take it all the way to a championship. It might be nice if they do. But at the end of the day, I worked hard for my degree at the University of Georgia, but I didn't play on the football team, surprisingly. <laughs> but it's easy to forget sometimes and to allow our favorite team and our commitment to our fandom to lead to animosity or argument or even irreparable rift in friendship. How terrible. We can get swept up sometimes in the fanfare and in the energy. Ask anybody who has ever been in a marching band at an away game. People can certainly get swept up in the energy. And when I read this passage from Luke today, this was the first thing that I thought about. I thought about the rifts that we can create over something in the grand scheme of things as minute as college sports. Because we get proud. We heard it just now in this space. I'm proud to be a bulldog. I know people in this space are proud to be Tennessee volunteers and proud of the Crimson Tide. We're proud. And that's not to say necessarily that all pride should be wrong. For example, a few weeks ago, we celebrated pride, but not pride that makes us conceited or arrogant, but pride as a reclamation of something, where some people might seek to find shame, finding pride. But what I'm talking about today is the pride that makes us arrogant, makes us conceited, the, the pride that can cause us to falsely believe at any moment at any time, anywhere, for any reason, at any moment, fourth quarter or not, that any one person is better than another. The pride that leaves us, leads us to believe that because of our status or our power or the team that we cheer for, that we're better. And, and that's where our passage begins today. If we listen very closely, Luke writes, Jesus told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Jesus was not telling this parable seaside to fishermen. This was not a parable that Jesus taught to the lowly or to the weak or to the marginalized. This parable, Jesus saved specifically for those who were most in danger of being arrogant and conceited. This was a parable for the proud, for those who believed themselves justified in the eyes of God. And so to illustrate the point of humility, Jesus does what Jesus always does best, and he tells a story. Jesus illustrates this narrative with two characters that would have been very well known in Jesus's community. The first, a Pharisee, someone with political and religious power, someone who was well-versed in not only the laws of the land, but in the laws of God. 
perhaps someone who rightfully thought they were justified. And the other, a tax collector. And in Jesus' time, a tax collector was someone employed by the Roman Empire to collect taxes for Rome, for Caesar. And therefore, any person that was employed by the Roman Empire was seen as corrupt. Jesus sets this very familiar scene with these very familiar characters because Jesus does what Jesus does best and he lures people into a false sense of security about the way that this story might be going. And then he turns the story for the listener. He says, rather than the righteous Pharisee walking away justified from the tipple, Jesus offers the other interpretation an interpretation that elevated the humility of the tax collector. The message for Jesus' audience being, don't get too comfortable. Don't get too secure. Even if the Falcons are up 27 to 3 at halftime, it can still turn. Don't we know? At any point, don't get comfortable. Because what God perceives as righteous might be counterintuitive to what we think if we get too comfortable. And I believe that there's a message for us, too, in the text, especially as people who live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world, a country that prides itself on its belief that the people have a say in who holds power in our highest seats. There's a message even to us. And I believe that that message centers around power. Not that we have power, or that power is somehow inherently bad, but it is a warning about how we utilize our power. See, the Pharisee, who held religious and political power, took the opportunity to go to God's house in this passage and flaunt That Pharisee stood there and said, Oh God, thank you that I am not like the others. I am not like those who steal. I am not like those who thief. I am not like adulterers, and I'm not even like a tax collector. Thank you, God. He flaunted his power in in God's house. And so he allowed himself to the opportunity to further humiliate those who were around him because of his great works and his great ability to be so very righteous. The Pharisee did not go to the temple to repent of how his power had either outright or inadvertently caused someone else harm. The Pharisee did not go to the temple to contemplate how his participation in the systems that afforded him his political and religious power could be perpetuating harm. The Pharisee did not go to the temple to repent at all, meaning to change his heart or his mind. The Pharisee went to the temple to be just as proud as he was on any other given moment of the week. And juxtaposed to the Pharisee, is this tax collector, this person that was likely loathed in his community. Someone that we might see as corrupt because 
He was participating in the Roman Empire, someone who would have been likely very guilty of perpetuating a system of oppression. Yet when the tax collector went to the temple, rather than standing up and flaunting his power, he couldn't even look anyone in the eye. He couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And he beat his chest. And he asked for God to show mercy upon him. Now, the text does not go on to tell us that upon leaving the temple that this tax collector changed his ways. We don't get the benefit of the follow-up that says, and then the tax collector went from the temple, shed his coat of tax collecting, and went on to be the first Robin Hood ever known. Would be great if we got that follow-up. We, we don't get the benefit of that story. We don't know if the tax collector changed his behavior because of the posture that he took in the temple. We only know that according to Jesus, he walked away justified because of the humility that he showed. Now my hope for the tax collector is that he understood his position in society and maybe over time and throughout his many prayers asking for mercy, that maybe he changed his ways so that he not only was leaving the system of oppression, but also maybe helping others to lift their way out. My hope for the tax collector is that he understood the power that he held and that it could be used for systematic change that not only would benefit him, but his whole entire community. Likewise, church, my hope for us as we read this parable is that we heed the story to use our power wisely that will use our power to uplift the lowly, give voice to the voiceless, center the marginalized, and in all that we do, seek the mercy of God so fervently that the only thing that could possibly be is that the lowly would be lifted up. Now, my hope is that as we go, no matter what, color we don on Saturday afternoon, whether we cheer for the dogs or the voles or the tigers or the panthers or any other insert mascot here, I think that we can all agree that being a part of God's team is the best team of all. A team that can flaunt constant care and concern for others more than a desire to win or to clamor over one another seems like a good team to be a part of. So friends, I ask that as we go through this week that we fix our works on creating the community that we want to be a part of, a world that we want to be a part of, one where no one is hungry and no one is left out, a world where the meek and the lowly are lifted up, one where the humble are exalted, this feels like a team that we can all champion. A team that we can champion until all people know that the kingdom of God is in our midst because all of the lowly have been lifted up. May it be so. In the name of the Creator and the Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen.